Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. And let's start with college football news, Ed. Obviously, the MAC, the Mountain West Conference, the Big Ten Conference, the Pac-12 have all canceled their fall football season and they're hoping to play in the spring i mean that's basically what the commissioners have come out and and said we we don't know if we'll have spring season for those four conferences but it's a wait and see but sec acc and the big 12 have all come out and said we're playing the season we're going forward nothing has changed what do you think about this? What do you think about this divide that is is being created in the NCAA? Well, I, I was kind of hoping to see like a tournament of the Power Five conferences. You know, I I just think I just think there's so much you know riding on these conferences. I mean, so many people love watching these teams, and I mean, it's just you know just as a college football fan, it's it's nice to know that at least like three big conferences we're gonna get. You know, we're going to get SEC football, and we're going to get a really good look this year at SEC football. And then, you know, we're going to get to see the the Big 12, and we're going to see the ACC, so we're going to see Clemson play this year. So I, I think I think it's still, it's still going to be, you know, enough that we can stay entertained this this fall. So um, I, I'm actually, I actually take it as positive news. I mean, I understand there could be an outbreak and so forth, and... But I, I, at this point, at this point, I'm kind of just excited we're going to get a little college football. Well, I'm not surprised that the Pac-12 canceled its season because California has been hit pretty hard recently. But Florida has also been hit pretty hard out there. And that, that's really surprising because few ACC teams, SEC teams are from there as well. And, and that's kind of interesting that they're moving forward. It's, it's all about money. Money talks and, and those conferences are deciding to play. But I don't think we'll have a college football playoff, Ed. I don't think we'll have a bowl season just because most of those conferences are going to play games within that conference, the 10 games or maybe the extra game. I just don't see that. I don't see that there's going to be a championship at the end of this whole thing. And even if the three conferences play or two conferences or one conference play, I don't think we'll have any postseason bids. But to me, the NCAA is a dysfunctioning body right now. It's kind of stuck in the Middle Ages, in my opinion. They need to go and kind of unite these conferences a little bit. I, I realize that they're by, it seems like they're by itself right now. It seems like Mark Emmerich and, and the whole NCAA is just kind of on the, on the back end a little bit of this whole thing. And that what bother, that's what bothers me. There's no unity. There's no leadership. There's no accountability. And it's like all the conferences are for themselves right now. And I, I, I think they're a bit lost. They want to play, but it's just there's a lot of confusion going on in, in college football. I, I like this. I mean, I, I'd say, I'd say, you know, I give the give the local schools their autonomy. If they don't want to play, don't make them play. And I mean, you know, just at the conference level, you know, these conferences can can basically decide, you know, do they want to do they want to survive or do they want to. You know, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I think going forward, I mean, 
this is gonna this is gonna help the ACC, SEC. Not that the SEC needs any more help, but the big the Big Twelve and the ACC are gonna grow from this. You know, what I'm saying more teams are gonna want to be part of the ACC, and you know, maybe if Notre Dame joins the ACC, I mean, this could be this could be a real growth of this conference. And you know what? It, it'd be good to see. It'd be good to see them. Uh, you know, because the Big Ten has always kind of been number two, and maybe you know, maybe we'll see a new number two. Well, also, it's going to help these conferences from the standpoint of the transfer portal. A lot of the smaller schools, from a lot of guys from the FCS, are are going to transfer to ACC and Big Twelve country, and we might see some of these other conferences, like the Mountain West Conference and and the MAC, some players transferring to those. Uh, conferences as well so they can play in the fall so they can prepare for the NFL draft I want to see what happens though I mean if some of these conferences are going to push the season to the spring what's going to happen with the NFL season are they going to push back the NFL draft are they going to push back the senior bowl are they going to push back the scouting combine there have been rumors that they will Um, obviously it's it's a tight time frame because you've got free agency because you've got hopefully normal training camps next summer Um, but that's what I want to see because obviously it seems like the college football season is going to be split into halves Uh, we're going to see one half in the fall with the conferences that are going forward and then in the spring some other conferences are going to come back and play so it's going to be interesting to to see how that works out we've got some NFL news and two of the best tight ends in the game have signed uh, George Kittle signed a five-year, $75 million deal, obviously with the 49ers. Um, he played in the Super Bowl. And another Super Bowl tight end, a Super Bowl winning tight end, Travis Kelsey, signed a four-year extension for over $57 million. Uh, what, what do you think about this? I mean, the tight ends are getting paid enormous money out there. I, I'm not sure how the Chiefs are are going to balance their books. I'm not sure how the Chiefs are going to build a competitive roster because it seems like they, they have given huge salaries to their top four players out there. Well, I mean, just going just going with the Chiefs first. I mean, I you guys like Patrick Mahomes, you got to pay him. You know, it's just a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you got to pay a guy like him cuz he changes your team. He's the reason you won a Super Bowl. I mean, Travis Kelsey, I mean, you got you got to get him some weapons and Travis Kelsey is a key integral part of that offense and to be honest with you, I mean, you got Tyreek Hill as a receiving option, but really, I mean, if 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 you want to say who their number one target is, you know who their I mean, you look at a lot of Super Bowl teams, they have their number one target and I think that guy is actually Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City Chiefs you know not every team has a go-to receiver I mean they do have Tyreek Hill uh, like I said but it's not it's their go-to guy is Travis Kelsey in that offense so I I would I I, I'm all I'm all for paying you know your star players and keeping them around and you know keeping them as the core of the team because you know he's he's been around for a while he's been very productive and he's had a great career so you know you got to keep your good players and so I I fully support the move. As far as George Kittle, I mean, I, I, I love George Kittle. I mean, I think he might be the best tight end in football. I mean, when you just consider, yes, he's a great receiving option, and we didn't know he was going to be this great of a receiving option, but he really is. But I'll tell you, he he has that tough 
old school, you know, sort of tough mentality, you know, Iowa football, uh, you know, physicality. And I love that he can block. So, I mean, he, you know, he puts his body on the line for your team in the blocking game, in the run blocking game. And he also can, he also can be a matchup nightmare in the offense. So, you know what, a guy like George Kittle, you know, pay him. He's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be a centerpiece of your offense. You need to get weapons on your offense. Jimmy G can't do it all by himself. I love, I love the two moves, two, two great moves by both teams. I'm glad you mentioned that George Kittle is the best tight end in the game. It makes my, uh, uh, it makes my heart warm up inside. It's just uh, we need a we need a number one weapon out there because obviously uh, Debo Samuel is down right now, a uh, rookie who had a good year. I mean George Kittle was an integral part of that offense of what you know Kyle Shanahan is trying to do. Hard knocks, Ed. Hard knocks. The first episode, um, you and I saw it firsthand. What are your overall impressions? Uh, did Obviously, the Hard Knocks are featuring two NFL teams this year. That has never been done before. I mean, they've featured the the Browns, the the Cowboys, the Dolphins in previous years. This year, they decided to focus on the Los Angeles Rams and the LA Chargers. What did you think of the first episode? I mean, did you like it? Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought it was a good episode. I mean, I, I love the idea of Hard Knocks. I mean, I know the teams hate it because, you know, they want the privacy in training camp and so forth, and they don't want all the distraction of it. I mean, it hurts the team. But, I mean, from from a fan perspective, I mean, it's a great look into, you know, what, a, what, what the operation of a football team is like, you know, what the emotions are and so forth. And, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I credit HBO with coming up with uh, – you know, I I'll say I mean I'm not, I'm not a big HBO watcher, but I I do pay the fee to have HBO, and the reason why I pay the fee to have HBO is basically, uh, you know, to 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 get hard knocks. I mean that's that's how good the show is. Um, you know I I'm, I mean you know hard, <laughs> HBO is not paying me to say that, but I mean that's that's kind of the truth for me. But um, yeah, I mean I just. I, 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 I thought, you know, with the coronavirus, I mean, that they really got, they really, they really showed the changes, you know, in an NFL locker room that happened because of the coronavirus, how these guys are just constantly tested. And it was kind of interesting to see these big star football players, you know, who usually are always the kind of in the glitz and glam, you know, being sort of given medical tests. I mean, it was almost pretty much pretty invasive. I mean, I almost have to feel for some of the guys, you know that they were that they were putting in there um but uh you know I, th- I thought I thought it was good you know I mean they talked about you know some relevant issues I mean I think everyone's I th- well and I don't think everyone but I think you know a side storyline that maybe more the political media wants to know is you know are these players going to kneel how do players feel about it and uh I thought it was interesting to see that there's th- you know there's a there's a difference of opinion you know within these locker rooms and you know, some some are more for kneeling, and some some see it as something different. And uh, so, I mean, you know, it, it seems it seems like maybe you know, it seems like probably the kneeling is probably something that's going to happen this year with a lot of teams. I mean, it seems like if there's a majority, it's the majority want to kneel um, at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I thought there were some good storylines. Yeah, we're we're basically learning the new rules of the world that we've never seen before and how it's affecting football players and what they think about it. And I'm talking about 
COVID-19. Anthony Lynn, the, the Chargers head coach, I mean, he shared his story about being infected and his players listened to that. Sean McAvey, I mean, was showing the human side and in trying to figure out when to wear and when not to wear a mask. I mean, he really struggled with that. And both both of the head coaches were trying to educate their players about being smart away from the facility. So I think it's really important. I mean, you have to stay together. And unfortunately, I mean, you have to be in that, in bu- in that bubble as much as you can. I love Jalen Ramsey and, and how he showed his his side to the media. I mean, when they peppered him with questions about a contract extension, I mean, what else do you expect them to say? I mean, they're, they're trying to find out whether he wants to get paid. I mean, obviously he wants to get paid, but he doesn't want to answer those questions. And I just thought that the media was just being a little bit out of hand. I mean, he told them like three times before he blew up and, and walked out of the room and then he went back in there. So Jalen Ramsey showed some of that fire that that makes him, you know, the one of the best corners in the league. And you're a boy, Ed. Justin Herbert, I mean, coaches and teammates were praising him. He, he did very well in that accuracy gauntlet. Obviously, it doesn't mean much. You don't have the pass rush. You don't have the pads on. But it was nice to see Justin Herbert being very accurate on the football field early on in um, episode number one. Yeah, it was kind of cool for me, you know, seeing him with the Chargers. Just because I, 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 I kind of have a story when I was in Mobile. I mean, we did the show from Mobile. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in one of the coffee shops sort of in downtown Mobile. And there was a Chargers scout. And he and I started talking. And I asked him, you know, I said, I said, are you guys thinking about, you know, drafting Justin Herbert? And I could kind of connect the dots. And, uh, you know, he gave me the whole, you know, scout speech of, oh, you know, we draft best player available. If he's the best player available, we'll draft him. But we, we don't, we're not looking for position. We're looking for talent and, you know, just, just you know, just stuff like that. So, um, it, but it, I mean, to, to, to kind of see how it, it kind of unfolded where, you know, they actually ended up pulling the trigger on him, getting him outright. And, um, you know, now, now he's, you know, now he's, he's moved a little south and I think he's, uh, I, I, I think he's going to have a good NFL career. I, I really I really think highly of Justin Herbert. He was the MVP of the Senior Bowl. I think he's played all four years. You know, he loves football. And I think I think this is going to be a great move for the Chargers. Well, he's replacing a legend. I mean, Phillip Rivers was there for, for so long with San Diego. And when they moved to Los Angeles, Phillip Rivers obviously has moved on to, to join the Indianapolis Colts for a year. Justin Herbert has some big shoes to fill, but obviously Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn. um, I mean, they're not saying that Justin Herbert is going to be the starting quarterback out of the gate, and that might not be the case, especially with Tyrod Taylor in there. We saw that Tyrod was the starting quarterback before Baker Mayfield took over with the Browns, so it might be the same thing. I mean, if if they start losing some games, I mean, they'll put Herbert in, you know, after that first month, uh, possibly, and we'll, we'll see what he can do. I'm not sure he's going to be the starting quarterback out of the gate. Uh, I just think Anthony Lynn f- feels more comfortable with the guy like Tyrod Taylor in the beginning. But Justin Herbert is certainly the future of that franchise because he's picked sixth overall. Speaking of television, Ed, uh, moving on from you know, the Hard Knock series. You and I had a great conversation last week about our favorite sports movies off the air. 
And then I just felt like the conversation was so great that we should just include it in the episode this week. So we decided to come up with the top five list of our best sports movies. We tried to come to a consensus. We tried to come to an agreement over this. It was hard at times and we had to get rid of some movies and possibly include some movies that maybe I wasn't a big fan of or you weren't a big fan of. But let's go with the honorable mentions. Let's go with a couple of movies that you felt deserved to be in the top five but uh, were, you know, I, I didn't allow you to uh, to include them here. So um, I want to hear it. Uh, who Give me a couple of movies that you felt deserved to be that are on the cusp of being in the top five. Well, the first one that comes to mind is uh, Miracle on Ice. I mean, I just thought I just thought it wasn't really. I didn't think they did a great job with the movie and so forth. But I did. I did think. I did think it was good that we captured that story. You know that Hollywood captured that story where. Uh, you know, I mean, that was that was a great moment in you know, sort of American history. I mean, it was obviously, you know, in the in the wake of the Cold War, and um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty at that time, and certainly, I mean, there was, you know, there was fears, you know, from a diplomatic standpoint or from a geopolitical standpoint, and you know, to kind of see the two countries come together, and I mean, it, it kind of had everything of a regular, you know, your kind of your Disney sports movie in that, you know, there's the there's the Russians, and you know, they're, they they just seem unbeatable you know they have the greatest you know it's like the greatest show on turf in the hockey version of that i mean you know just going against them and you know they take a bunch of college hockey players and somehow they won that game i mean as you know it's it's kind of true any any team can beat any team so i was glad that hollywood captured that story i thought some of the movies were some of the moments were a little cheesy a little fake a little forced but um yeah i mean i i i i I thought that was one of the great sort of American uh, sports moments. So, yeah, I, th- that for me is one. Um, another one is I, I like the movie Tin Cup. It's a good golf movie. Um, you know, just kind of seeing a kind of a scrub, you know, golf pro and, you know, how he goes out there and, you know, he, he, he plays in a major tournament and, you know, he's got a good personality and, you know, he, he has some, you know, he has some kind of quirks that are kind of funny and, um, yeah, I, I just thought I thought I mean it's a light movie. It's not a movie that's gonna change me, but I I thought it was a good movie. I thought that was actually the best Kevin Costner movie of all time. I'm I'm a movie buff, and uh, I felt like that was his best character, uh, him and Cheech Marin, and then Don Johnson playing his uh, his enemy, uh, you know, somebody that he's facing in that last round of the PGA Championship. I, I thought that was a great movie. A head case, uh, washed up, uh, driving range type of guy that just goes out there, qualifies for one of the biggest events in, in sports history in golf world and goes out there. I'm not going to spoil the movie, but it's just in the end, I mean, he does something that is... Uh, reminiscent of the character that he was throughout the movie i mean he was trying to hold himself through the all the rounds until the final round and he just yeah he he blew up but i'm not gonna spoil it for for all those people that didn't watch tin cup but i do believe it's it's the best kevin costner movie that i've seen um out of all the parts that he's had throughout the years i'm gonna mention uh five movies for me that that make it into the honorable mention i liked a league of their own 
It's it's a movie with uh, Gina Davis, Tom Hanks playing a baseball coach. It's about women forming a league during World War II when the men were out at war and they were playing it. And I just thought that was it, it brought some historical facts into it and it was just it was a fun movie and I love Tom Hanks in this. I mean, he was fun, he was quirky and um, he showed some comedic sense in this movie. I like the Hoosiers movie, Ed. Obviously, it's about a coach coming to high school, bringing his own rules. Obviously, basketball is everything in Indiana. That, that's always been the case. And uh, he it's an underdog story. The coach comes in, takes this team, and brings them to a, a championship in Indiana. I thought that was really good. One of my best sports movies, The Natural. Uh, I just thought that Roy Hobbs' character was was amazing i mean this this washed up guy coming out of nowhere he's like 35 36 years old he was supposed to be this hot shot baseball prospect who got lost in life and he gets a shot with with a baseball team and brings them into the playoffs into the pennant race and i just thought the music the the underscore the the special effects the the actors playing um, you know, a big time role there, and I just thought Roy Hobbs is a character that that always uh, had a soft spot for me. I mean, in the end, I mean, he obviously comes through, and uh, I just thought the natural was deserves to be mentioned in the top five, but gets an honorable mention here. I like the Major League as well. I just thought it was a great movie with. Uh, Charlie Sheen back in the day playing Wild Thing, Tom Berenger being this old catcher, Wesley Snipes being a hotshot rookie uh, who's you know stealing bases out there. And again, an underdog team, the, the owner doesn't want them to win, he wants them to move, but this team comes out of nowhere, the team of misfits, and, and they just they do a lot of good things. I just thought there were a lot of good comedic moments in there. And another movie I'll mention before we get to the top five, Moneyball. But Moneyball to me was a great book. I read it and it just left um, a huge imprint on me. And I was excited about when they brought it to the big screen. I was excited to watch Billy Bean, who was played by Brad Pitt, his philosophy of uh, you know doing things a little bit different differently in the baseball world and a lot of people laughed at him uh, there's some things that get left out of the movie but I just I love the way Giambi leaves Matt you know Johnny Damon leaves and, and they build a team of again kind of misfits guys that nobody wanted Scott Hatterberg playing first base and I just thought it was a great story and they they kind of explained it in, in a way especially for those people that that didn't read the book I thought the book was a lot better than the movie, but Brad Pitt deservingly was was named for the for the Oscar, and uh, I thought he had a great performance. What do you think of Moneyball? I, I I liked the movie. I mean, I I like the idea. It's just I, I just thought that they really kind of missed some important material facts about the story that really would have made it a better story. I mean, the, you know, there was there was there was the whole aspect of uh, you know, the fact that the, the Oakland A's, I mean, they made it like look like they had a bunch of scrubs and they did, you know, on their offensive side of the ball. But I mean, part of the winning formula for that team was, and you know, the A's were never, the A's never won a championship in that era. Um, 
you know, they had great pitching. I mean, they had Tim Hudson and Barry Zito and I mean, they, they just had a, they had a great pitching staff at that point and uh, they don't talk about that at all. And I, I just, I just thought that was a material fact that sh- should have been, should have been talked about. Um, and, and the other thing is, is, I mean, you know, they, they talk a lot about Billy Bean and the irony of, you know, him and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the book, the book goes into more of the irony of, you know, how they used to scout players and how they scout players now. I mean, you know, and even that story has kind of evolved. I mean, nowadays, you know, I mean, there are teams that can literally develop an algorithm for how they want to develop players and how they want to draft players. And Moneyball kind of talked about that. But, you know, now, now, I mean, you know, it, it kind of goes with the contrast of, you know, baseball has always been seen as an art, right? Like, I mean, we'll talk about Field of Dreams in the future, a little teaser. But, you know, that that's definitely a movie that comes from the perspective of baseball as an art. But, you know, to, to see it kind of, a you know, as a mathematical, you know, clear with clear outcomes. I mean, that's kind of the thing about baseball statistics is like you can almost it's almost simple math what you can use to calculate things and so you know an algorithm um you know can basically help a team be a great gm and i mean you can't do that you can't do that in football you really can't i mean there's just you can use analytics but the analytics just you know they are just aren't as advanced as as they are as they can be with baseball because baseball has just such simple math you know you either get a single or you don't you get a hit or you don't you get a home run or you don't um so i i I, th- I thought there were some interesting storylines there. Well, let's get into the top five. A little drum roll out here. Let's uh, let's do this. At number five, you and I agreed that Fever Pitch. Now, a lot of people would be surprised. Fever Pitch. Why did we put this in the top five? But you know, there's, there's a great story behind this movie, and the Fairley brothers were the ones that, that shot this. Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon... Talk about this, Ed. Obviously, this story means a lot to you as a as a Boston Red Sox fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you've listened to the show, I've kind of teased that I I grew up in Boston, and obviously, I'm a big Steeler fan, and I can talk about sort of why I am. But um, you know, I, I I I did become a Boston Red Sox fan growing up in Boston, and um, you know, I I to be honest with you, what got me to love uh, sports was really following the Boston Red Sox. You know, what really got me into sports radio was listening to WEI radio. Um, you know, I remember sort of summers before I was too, I was too young to, uh, I was too young to, you know, have a job. And so I used to like to kind of hang out and listen to the radio and listen to WEI and just get the scoop and talk about the game and stuff like that. And that, that kind of gave me the inspiration to want to get into this. But, um, yeah, and I loved I loved following the Red Sox, you know, during that era, during the '90s, and during the two the early 2000s. And I just remember in 2013, in 2003, I'm sorry, when you know the Red Sox had a had a loaded team, and they went against the Yankees, and the Yankees beat them in the playoffs, and it was pretty bad. And I just, I mean, I. I, I can think of a few moments in sports where I've just literally like I've been upset about Steeler games before, but I mean th- this this le- legitimately I mean this literally made me cry. I mean I was you know I was like in middle school, but still I mean just 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 the hope around that team and just how they had you know sort of been cursed and had never won a championship and 
Uh, you know, I just remember Boston. I mean, just the just the air, just the you you could just feel it in the air. Just this frustration in Boston when you went to Fenway Park of just like how this team was never gonna win a championship, and then and then in 2014, I mean, how how this team, you know, just. You know, they brought in Kurt Schilling. There was the Bloody Sock. There was Pedro, who had a great year. There was, you know, they, they had top-end pitching. And then they, you know, they started with the bullpen by committee. And then they started to find roles. And they brought in Keith Folk, who, you know, really wasn't, really wasn't. a. He talked to more about how much he loved hockey. But he, he just, he had an ability. He had a weird windup. And he just had an ability to close games out for them. So, I mean, they were able to fix the bullpen by committee that year. And, you know, at, at the end, they, you know, there was, the, there's a story that we've all heard, you know, where they were down three, nothing in the series, the Yankees. And it, it seemed like it was over. I mean, people were saying it was over. I mean, I, I grew up in Massachusetts dur- during that time and, uh, you know, it, 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 it was all, but it, it you know, it was, it was it, pretty much people, people had given up and then all of a sudden they just, they just came and won that first game and they came back and won. And then there was that game seven where Dave Roberts, you know, in the last inning stole that base um, to tie the game, you know, and he eventually got brought in to tie the game. You know, they played a little small ball and and, and, and then they got a home run in the end. And, um, you know, for them to beat the Yankees like that, you know, the, the big bad rival, um, that was that 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 was if there's a sports story that means more to me than that I I can't find it. I mean that was just that was that was one of the best sports moments for me. So seeing that movie Fever Pitch, I mean, it's kind of a romantic comedy and there's that kind of story, but you know, it just kind of you just kind of got to relive that and see, you know, a little bit of what what it was like, you know, for Boston Red Sox fans. I mean, there there is a, there is like a cult following for that team and it was especially big, you know, before they won the World Series. All right, let's go to number four, uh, because, I mean, well put. And I have nothing else to say. I mean, it's just everything that basically uh, that I think I would have talked about, you, you mentioned in that um, short segment out there. Let's move on to number four, Field of Dreams, a movie that I wasn't a big fan of. I, I have to admit to our listeners, I, I struggled with this. I I realized that a lot of people put it in the top 10, top five, and and Ed loves this movie. I mean, he was willing to put it at number two. I just, I wasn't feeling it quite as much as you, but I accepted it and I put it in the top five just because, I mean, it was a really good movie. It it meant something. It had a story and... uh, Talk about it. I mean, obviously, you're you're a big fan of Field of Dreams. I just feel like Kevin Costner. He was at his best in Tin Cup. Uh, he was he was the lead character in this. Talk about this movie at number four. Yeah, I, I just thought it was it was a really cool movie, and it kind of tied into American history and into in American literature. Just you know, with uh, you know Terrence Mann, who I mean was loosely based on J.D. Salinger and. Um, you know, I've, obviously the catcher in the rye is one of my favorite books. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's an American classic and, uh, you know, if you ever have a moment, um, you know, it's a, it's a good book to read and, um, just to, just to, just to, uh, go, go back to it. I mean, I just, I just love that it romanticized, it romanticized baseball, it romanticized what it was, um, at the time. I mean, it, as, as a baseball fan, it's, it's, it's kind of sad to see what's going on. 
I mean, it's just, I think we live in a different era now of technology and, um, you know, just baseball, just baseball isn't fast enough. That's the sad, that's the sad truth about baseball is it's just, it's not fast enough. It's not, and, and, and it's just not what it used to be. It used to be America's pastime. And, um, now we need something more exciting. I mean, just in the era of, you know, iPhones and so forth and smartphones, we, we, we need, we need that constant entertainment. And so the, that you know that that that's sort of how how things have changed but i mean you know this was a time when you know we you know it brought back the great story of the black Sox and how uh you know they they were cheated and you know shoeless joe jackson and um it was just it was just a lot of rich history and um you know it was kind of a weird story where he goes to find him and you know there's sort of a it's sort of like a a, a sort of um an alternative um you know, kind of feel to the movie, you know, where, you know, he just, you know, the, the sort of just primal forces of nature bring him to Boston to meet Terrence Mann and, uh, you know, to bring him to Iowa and so forth. And, um, yeah, I just, I just thought, I thought it was a great, and I thought it really romanticized the sport of baseball. At number three, we've got Rocky, uh, probably the greatest boxing movie of all time you can make a case for raging bull where robert de niro plays the character but i'm gonna go with rocky and the original obviously uh you know it was it was up for an oscar it's about a philadelphia boxer who's struggling out there it was what made sylvester stallone it's what put him on the map i mean he was a lefty out there he got his shot against apollo creed and not that creed that you know the the new generation is watching that was his father and uh apollo versus you know rocky balboa there was just something romantic about it i mean a, a italian stallion who, who couldn't put uh, put a sentence together i mean a guy of a very few words who was just a hard worker who needed a shot he lost to apollo at the end but then there are other movies that followed like rocky 2 and then Rocky 3 and then Rocky 4 and 5 and 6 we could go on and on there was a whole franchise around it Rocky was just an underdog story and I would say the best base not baseball best boxing movie um, ever made in my opinion it was just I was a kid and I enjoyed watching it at number two remember the Titans uh, Denzel Washington playing the the head coach uh, who's trying to bring a, a football team together. Uh, obviously, we we put it at number two out here. Talk about this movie, Ed. Yeah, I just I just thought I just thought it was a nice story of a you know a high school football team in an area where that really emphasizes high school football. And you know, it talked about how you know the schools had previously been segregated, and then they brought the schools together and they combined you know, kids who had historically, you know, gone to a black school and how they were going to, uh, you know, a traditionally white school and, um, you know, how they came together. And it was, it was, um, you know, it, it was just very authentic the way, the way they, they built their relationships. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just really a nice moment. And, um, you know, definitely, definitely, um, something to remember. I mean, especially, you know, you know, from, from a feeling standpoint, I mean, especially there's a lot of talk in the media about, you know, racial injustice and police brutality and so forth. And, um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, as far as race issues, I think this is a nice harmonious, 
um, you know, way to, way to celebrate, you know, sort of maybe some of the, some of the improvements we've had on a racial front over time. I mean, I'm not an expert in, in sort of racial history and, um, you know, there, there, there are other critical theorists who, you know, kind of see, see the problems as, you know, worse today. And, um, you know, I think, I think you could go back and forth on the debate, but I mean, for, from, from my perspective, it seemed, it seemed like a nice harmonious way to celebrate, um, you know, the combining of a white school and a black school. Denzel Washington is an excellent actor and uh, another great performance from him in this movie. And I think a lot more people should watch this movie, how, how people come together and how, you know, they're able to overcome those differences that they once had in the beginning. Definitely something that we need right now in our time. Uh, number one, number one, we've got Rudy. The ultimate underdog story about a kid growing up in the mills, you know, a blue-collar town who who had a dream to play for the Notre Dame Irish. Fantastic story, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean that's that's a movie that'll that'll bring you to tears. I mean, just the way he just believes in his story, and you know, he gets a, he 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 gets his chance. He does everything he can to you know get his chance. I mean, he sacrifices everything to basically go and live out his dream and you know I, I thought the beautiful thing about it is everyone in his life told him that he couldn't do it and he he went to he you know he went to Notre Dame and he, he went to junior college and then you know he, he he said you know he said he was gonna play for the team and they they put him on the they put him on the uh, the practice squad and you know he showed he showed heart and um, you know that's that's what we love in sports. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, you think about the favorite players in baseball. It's it's the players who played with a lot of heart. It's not the players who played with a lot of, um, you know, you know. There there are some guys with a lot of natural talents, but I mean, just just sometimes just the heart of a player, and I mean that that can really make a difference for a team. I mean, we you know as sort of as as draft guys, you know, we we project a lot of talent and what they are, but I mean, there is kind of this X factor of just, you know, how much heart does this guy have? You know, how much does this guy want it? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I still, I, I, I would never say I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I would say, I would say I, I, I respect Notre Dame football and one of those movies just kind of harmonized the history of Notre Dame football for me. Sean Astin plays the main character, Rudy, uh, obviously he's a small guy, and he got a shot. Uh, he transferred to Notre Dame and came there as a walk-on, worked his behind, worked his tail off, and got a chance in the end to, to play in a game and actually was credited with the sack. So uh, it's a sappy movie. I mean, at the end, I mean, you just, <clears throat> it's a feel-good story that you just realize that there's no way that you, you can't, shed a tear at the end just because of what it meant and it's a true story as well so we put Rudy at number one so we felt a little bit like uh, Ebert and Roper here right? <laughs> I never thought I'd be that. a little bit we, we played that role we usually play you know draft experts we comment about college football and the NFL we played movie critics here when it comes to sports movies yeah I, I thought this was a fun exercise and I mean you know if you could email the show um, you know about any other ideas we could have I mean obviously this season's going to be a little different for us so 
um you know anything anything you know the fans want to hear you know maybe just going a little off script now that we're not you know we're gonna have a little bit of a you know we're not gonna have the full college football season that we're used to all right let's get to our original exercise that we came here to do during this episode we decided to focus on the 2014 nfl draft we decided to do a redraft uh just basically going back and and basically having a redo of which players we would draft now. We would keep the original selections. Um, we, we will go through the entire first round. And uh, let's start with number one. You've got the, the Houston Texans on the clock. And their original selection was Jadavian Clowney from South Carolina. So who is your pick at number one? Well, there's a lot of talent in this draft. I just want to say, um, you know, if you look at if you look at my big board, you'd be like, holy, you know, you're gonna see that there's a lot of great players on this on this big board. So, but the number one here is gonna be Aaron Donald. Um, you know, he's a he's a defensive tackle. He might move to the three four defensive end position. Uh, he's had a dominant career. He has 72 sacks in his six year career. I mean, this is an interior defender. And he's got 72 sacks. Um, you know, he, he, he could just very well could be the best player in football. Yeah, he's certainly the best defensive player in the football. I mean, he's won the defensive player of the year two times in a row. It's amazing. Yet, I mean, this guy dominated at Pitt. Uh, he dominated the Senior Bowl. He ran a 4.68 at the Combine, yet he still slipped to the 13th overall selection to the Rams. Um, definitely, I, I can't argue that. Aaron Donald is the number one player, and he, the Houston, can you imagine the Houston Texans having J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald? Can you imagine the impact that these two guys would have on that defense? They wouldn't need anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that would be quite a pass rush. That would be a scary pass rush to go against. I mean, imagine if they played a 3-4 and you had both of those guys rushing from the edges. I mean, you just you just couldn't plan for that. I mean, I know, I know there are certain NFL teams that you know when they play when they play the Rams they'll they'll move their you know if they have a good right tackle and you know they they'll move him to left guard so he can face uh if he can face Aaron Donald you know that's just how he changes the defense and how he changes an offense um offensive line so i mean Aaron Donald is best best player in the NFL in my opinion number 2 we've got the St. Louis Rams that's right, St. Louis in this case. Now they're the Los Angeles Rams. Their original selection was Greg Robinson, offensive tackle from Auburn. He was supposed to be their left tackle of the future. Certainly, that didn't turn out well for them. Um, so, St. Louis Rams should definitely take Khalil Mack. Since they miss out on Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack, in my opinion, is the best player after Aaron Donald. He's the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2016, selected to five straight Pro Bowls. Raiders got two first-round picks for him. Obviously, he played for the Raiders, and then he got traded to the Chicago Bears. This guy is dominant, and um, you know he, he would look great in that 3-4 defense as, as an edge rusher. So Khalil Mack at number two for me. Uh, number three, Jacksonville Jaguars. Their original selection was Blake Bortles, quarterback from UCF. 
Yeah, and I mean that that pick ended up being kind of a bust. But you know who I think I think would be would be a fit actually at number three. I mean, he probably would have been thought of as a small school guy, and they probably would have questioned it. But I think I think the right guy to change, take in this scenario would be Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he would have say I think he would have fixed their quarterback problems long term. All right, so you decided to go with the quarterback here. You decided to stick to the original. You know, it's amazing. Jimmy wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that Super Bowl run that he had with the 49ers last year, right? I mean, he kind of resurrected his career. He was the backup to Tom Brady, got traded to the Niners, obviously, uh, you know, got hurt. We never got a chance to see him, and uh, he showed what he can do last year. So you decided to stick with the original selection. You decided to go with the quarterback. Yeah, I, I think they needed a quarterback here. And you think about the Jacksonville Jaguars and how they how they how they've really needed to find. A, I mean, they've they've been searching and searching. And I guess they might have found a guy in Gardner Minshew. But I even have some questions about Gardner Minshew, and that was years later. So um, yeah, I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo would have made a big impact on this organization. All right, number four, uh, we've got the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills' original selection was Sammy Watkins, a wide receiver from Clemson. Well, there's a wide receiver sitting on the board here, and I have to go with him. I, I just feel like the, the Buffalo Bills missed. This is the 2014 NFL Draft will always be remembered as possibly, arguably, the greatest wide receiver group of all time. I would say the 1996 wide receiver class was great but I think the 2014 group tops that we'll see what the 2020 group brings us but uh, we'll find out in a few years but this group is excellent when you look at the wide receiver talent and what these guys are doing right now in the NFL so the Buffalo Bills will get Mike Evans for me Mike Evans in his six years has averaged 77 receptions for over 1,000 yards I mean, this guy has been a dominant wide receiver, and it's amazing. I mean, he played second fiddle to Johnny Manziel coming out of Texas A&M. He was Johnny Manziel's favorite target. He came out as a redshirt sophomore, and he has been unstoppable. I mean, arguably the best jump ball wide receiver out there. He's got a huge catching radius, and I would say the so far the most consistent wide receiver out of this group at number five we've got the Oakland Raiders that's right the Oakland Raiders for for now they obviously moved to Las Vegas but uh, for the sake of this 2014 draft the Raiders are on the clock and their original selection was Khalil Mack edge rusher out of Buffalo obviously he's off the board now because he went much earlier in our mock draft yeah, so I, I think I might surprise you a little bit, but there was a guy who had 19 sacks in 2019, and uh, that was his first year with the Bucks. And so I'm actually going to go with Shaquille Barrett. Um, from uh, he was he was from Colorado State at the time, and uh, you know I th- I think this would be the appropriate pick for the Oakland Raiders. I mean they went with an edge rusher, and so um, you know they probably get a downgrade because uh, Khalil Mack is off the board. But I, I'm going to put Shaquille Barrett here. All right. So, I mean, he went undrafted in that draft, right? Yeah, he did. And he was a backup for a few years with the Broncos. He was was signed as an undrafted free agent, and he was a good backup. And then he finally got a starting gig with the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he exploded for 19 sacks. So, um, yeah, I like the Shaquille Barrett pick right here. 
All right, number six, we've got the Atlanta Falcons, and the original selection was Jake Matthews, uh, offensive tackle from Texas A&M. And that's a tempting selection. It, it really is. But I'm going to go, and I want to give him a wide receiver as well, but they had Julio Jones already. So I'm going to go with Zach Martin. And I just feel like he's the best offensive lineman um, at, in out of this draft. And even though he doesn't play left tackle, he's a guard. He's been an excellent guard. He's been to six Pro Bowl teams. He's been to six All-Pro teams for the Dallas Cowboys. And I would say this, this would make the most sense for me. Protect Matt Ryan. Even though you don't get a left tackle, you get a, a stud guard. One of the best offensive linemen in the game today. At number seven, the, the Tampa Bay Bucks' original selection was Mike Evans. Wide receiver out of Texas A&M. Obviously, he went to the Bills. I uh, He went to the Buffalo Bills at number four in our redraft out here. So who is your selection at seven? I'm actually going to go with a guy uh, more of a, more of a you know, in-the-dirt defensive end. Um, I'm going to go with Demarcus Lawrence here. All right. So we're uh, going away from the offensive side. You felt like Demarcus Lawrence would have made the difference there for the Bucks defense. Yeah, I mean, I love me and my edge rushers. I mean, if you're gonna get a, if you're not gonna get a quarterback, get an edge rusher. That's my draft philosophy. Thirty-nine sacks, two-time Pro Bowler. I mean, coming out of Boise State, uh, certainly a guy that that's a top ten player in my book. At number eight, we've got the Cleveland Browns, and the Cleveland Browns whiffed on this pick. It was Justin Gilbert, corner out of Oklahoma State. That certainly hasn't worked out. I mean, this guy has tried to catch on with a few NFL teams. It just hasn't worked. It hasn't. I want to give him a quarterback, but not here. I'm going to give him a quarterback possibly at 22 if if we have the right one. Um, so how about a wide receiver? How about a wide receiver here? Again, it's, it's a great, it's a rich draft when it comes to wide receivers. So I'm going to go with OBJ here. I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. Um, He's an athletic specimen. Five 1,000-yard seasons in six years. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Three-time Pro Bowler. I realize he's a bit brash. Most wide receivers are prima donnas. If this guy is healthy, he is one of the best receivers in the game, and I think he's going to bounce back this year. Uh, with the Cleveland Browns and that new offensive scheme. At number nine, we've got Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings. Their original selection was Anthony Barr, a linebacker out of UCLA. You know what? I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I might actually say that the Anthony Barr pick was a good pick here. And so I'm actually going to go with Anthony Barr again. And why not? I mean, I think Anthony Barr gets... uh, Gets a bad rap for some reason. I, I really don't get it, uh, to be honest with you. He's played in a 4-3 defense in the NFL. Maybe a 3-4 defense would have suited him better. But he's a very versatile linebacker. He's been a four-time pro bowler in his six years. So I respect that. I think it's a good pick. And I, if I had the pick, I would have done the same thing, I think. At, at number 10, we've got the Detroit Lions. This is a tough one. Their original selection was Eric Ebron, a tight end out of North Carolina. I'm not going to go in that direction, to to be honest with you. I think I'm going to go with Taylor Luan 
at that time, during the 2014 uh, uh, season, they had Riley Reef being the left tackle. I just don't think Reef is... He's an average left tackle at best. I think Reef would have been better suited playing right tackle or even guard, something I think he'll play this year. So I'm going to give him Taylor Luan, three-time pro bowler, a very nasty, very physical offensive lineman. He's been a fixture on the left side for, for the Tennessee Titans. So that that's my selection at 10. At number 11, we've got the Tennessee Titans. I stole Taylor Luan away from him, who was the original selection out of Michigan. So who is your selection here? You know, I'm actually going to go with uh, Jadavian Clowney here. Um, you know, Jadavian Clowney was a freak of an athlete. And, you know, just maybe if he had gone to maybe a different team, uh, you know, a team like the Tennessee Titans, I mean, maybe his career would have lived up to what his draft billing was. But, you know, he still has had a great career. The only thing that kind of worries me is he only had three and three sacks in 2019. But I'm looking for him to get his career back on track. So I'm going to go with Jadavian Clowney here. Well, he's made the Pro Bowl three times. I mean, he has some durability concerns, but he's a very good run defender. Maybe he hasn't turned out to be the, the feared pass rusher that everybody talked about when he was coming out of college. But um, he has turned out to be a, a good player. And by the way, he's still unsigned to this day. It's amazing. I thought somebody was going to give him a try. At number 12, we've got, who do we have? We've got the New York Giants. And the original selection there was Odell Beckham, a wide receiver out of LSU. I mean, that was that was the selection there. Um, so a couple of wide receivers have slipped, in my opinion. So I'm going to give them Devontae Adams. I think Devontae Adams has come on the last four years of his career. He was selected to the last three three Pro Bowls. He's been Aaron Rodgers' favorite target. Devontae Adams is a very, I would say, still not talked about as like a top five receiver, and he should be. He's a great route runner. So I'm I'm going to give him Devontae Adams here at number 12, and Eli, Eli Manning gets another weapon. At number 13, we've got the St. Louis Rams again on the clock. Their original selection was Aaron Donald, defensive lineman from Pitt. He obviously went number one uh, to the Houston Texans, so we can't double down on Aaron Donald here. So who is your pick here at number 13, Ed? Well, I'm going to go with my guy, uh, Stefan Tuitt, 3-4 uh, defensive end. I think he can kind of play the same role that Aaron Donald will play. Definitely won't be Aaron Donald, but hey, they're picking at 13 in a redraft. So I'm going to give him Stefan Tuitt here. All right. I thought maybe you were going to save it here for, for selfish reasons. You were going to give St. Louis somebody else, and then you were going to get Tua to, to the Steelers at 15. Yeah. Uh, I thought you, you were going to stick to the original selection, as they say. <laughs> but obviously that, that didn't happen here. Uh, number 14, the Chicago Bears went with Kyle Fuller, a cornerback out of Virginia Tech. And a corner is tempting. I think Kyle Fuller has been a really good player. Honestly, I mean, he has. And and we can justify, you know, picking him here. But I'm going to go with C.J. Mosley. I'm going to go with the linebacker who's been a fixture uh, with uh, with the Ravens. And now, obviously, he is he's out there with, with the Jets trying to make it. I mean, he's a four-time pro bowler. 
He's he four times he's been named to the All Pro team. He was a leader with the Ravens, and I think he would fit that that Chicago Bears defense. I think C.J. Mosley can play in in a number of schemes out there, and so I decided to go with C.J. Mosley out of Alabama at 15. Ed, it's your Pittsburgh Steelers who. Uh, who selected Ryan Shazier, a linebacker out of Ohio State. He was a really good player. I mean, he was coming on after struggling during his rookie season. Unfortunately, that injury occurred, and we'll never see Ryan Shazier again in an NFL uniform. And it's a shame because I, I think the way he was ascending out there, he would have been a top 10 player in this draft. So... You're gonna have to find somebody else here. Who who is your pick? Well, you know this was this was in the heart of when the Steelers were really into, def- you know, drafting defenders, and you know, um, you know they were kind of in the middle of you know drafting Dupree and all that, and uh, T.J. They hadn't drafted T.J. Watt yet, so I'm actually gonna go with D. Ford here. Um, I think I think D. Ford would have had a very good career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, it took him a while to to have that breakout year with the Chiefs, and he finally did because he was a he was a backup linebacker. But this looks like a Steelers pick; it really is. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, no, not the Baltimore Ravens. I apologize. At number sixteen, the Dallas Cowboys. They went with Zach Martin, an offensive offensive lineman who became a guard for them out of Notre Dame. It's, this is kind of interesting out here. Who who am I going to go with the Cowboys here? Who has slipped, possibly? I'm going to go with Kyle Fuller. I just think the Cowboys at that time needed help in the secondary, and they needed help at corner. And uh, Kyle Fuller, uh, he made the Pro Bowl two times in his career. He has accumulated 18 picks um, during his six-year career. He tied for the lead in interceptions in 2018. So I'm going to give him the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. At number 17, we've got the the nemesis to the Pittsburgh Steelers all of these years, the Baltimore Ravens. They originally selected C.J. Mosley, linebacker out of Alabama. Who is your selection here, Ed? I'm, I think I'm going to surprise you a little bit with this pick, but I think this is a guy who's had a very good career with the Patriots and you know could continue that with the Dolphins. Um, I'm going to go with Kyle Van Noy here. Um, I like this pick for the Ravens because I think they love to build up their front four. Um, I mean, their front seven, and I think he could be an edge rusher for them. Um, they love their edge rushers, so I'm going to go with Kyle Van Noy here. I think it's a good pick. Uh, it's not a surprise. I mean, the the last three seasons with the play, uh, with the Patriots, he's become a good player and uh, very underrated player who's come into his own. And it's no surprise that the Dolphins signed him because they're very familiar with him. Uh, number 18, we've got the New York Jets who whiffed on Calvin Pryor, uh, the safety out of Louisville, who was supposed to be this ferocious hitter, and he was supposed to be all of this and all of that. That just, it didn't happen for them. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm going, I'm going, like I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking maybe a wide receiver. I'm going to give him Jarvis Landry. I'm going to give him a wide receiver that that was drafted much later, um, who has become a very good player for the Dolphins and for the Browns. I realize he's a slot receiver, but a very underappreciated guy, especially on third downs. 
He arguably has the best hands in the NFL. He's a good route runner, and he creates separation and gets open. He is quarterback's best friend. So I'm going to give him a wide receiver and go in a different direction here. Instead of a defensive player, I'll go with Landry here at number 18. At number 19, we've got the Miami Dolphins. Jawan James was the pick, offensive tackle out of Tennessee. You know, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a receiver here. I mean, I think it would have been really nice for this offense to have to have just kind of a stable receiver over the years. Um, this is a guy who's bounced around. I think he I think the Dolphins would have been a little bit more loyal to him than the other teams that had him. So I'm gonna go with Brandon Cooks from uh, Oregon State. Yeah, another guy that that has changed teams quite frequently, but uh, a guy that can stretch the field. He has gained over 1,000 receiving yards in four out of the six seasons. I I realize he's on his fourth team now. He's been with the Saints, the Patriots, the Rams. Now he's with the Texans. But I do believe that the Dolphins were always in need of of more playmakers. You know, there was one guy that's still on the board that hasn't been mentioned. I'm kind of surprised he didn't go here. Jake Matthews. Yeah. Uh, left tackle. I mean, that that would have made sense out here to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, I think I think he'll go in this draft, but I, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, Jake Matthews has been durable, but I don't think he's particularly special offensive lineman. I mean, they were all right. Uh, the, all right. I mean, he will go in the first round. Let, let's mention that. But it would have made sense. I mean, he he's been a stable out there for the for the Atlanta Falcons. At number 20, we've got the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and the original selection was Brandon Cooks, wide receiver out of Oregon State. He would have been the pick here for me, but Ed went with him with the Miami Dolphins' selection earlier. I'll give him another wide receiver. Again, this is a rich draft. I'm repeating myself, but it's a rich draft when it comes to wide receivers. I'll go with Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson has, has balanced around, but... He would have been a nice selection here with the Saints. Uh, he's a big target. He's played with Bortles. He's played with Trubisky. And he has still produced. He has come back from that injury. So I would have chosen the, the wide receiver out of Penn State here. They like to draft offensive players. I mean, Sean Payton would have known what, what to do with him here. He likes big receivers. I mean, we've seen how Michael Thomas has, has prospered in this offense. At number 21, we've got the Green Bay Packers. Their original selection was Ha Ha Clinton Dix, a safety out of Alabama. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to stick with Ha Ha Clinton Dix. I mean, they weren't able to sign him to a second long-term deal, but I, I, I thought Ha Ha Clinton Dix had a good career with the Packers. All right, number 22, we've got the Cleveland Browns. They whiffed on Johnny Manziel. Uh, quarterback out of Heisman Trophy quarterback out of Texas A&M a guy that was supposed to to change Cleveland football that certainly didn't happen he was out of the NFL and in two years he's balanced around he hasn't found success anywhere even in the CFL but I will give him a quarterback here Ed since he went with Jimmy G at number three to the Jacksonville Jaguars I'll give him Derek Carr I'm not sure how Derek Carr would do here because the Cleveland Browns, obviously, they play in Ohio. It's cold weather. It's no secret that Derek Carr has struggled in cold weather games. And, and he has struggled in, in the win and losses department. But he's been an underappreciated quarterback. He's put up the numbers. He's put up some good numbers. And he's been more consistent under John Gruden 
the last two years, especially in the accuracy department, his accuracy has risen. And I'm sure the Raiders are hoping that Derek Carr can can take John Gruden to the promised land. So I'll go with Derek Carr here at 22 to replace uh, Johnny Manziel. At number 23, Kansas City Chiefs originally drafted D Ford, defensive end from Auburn. You know, I'm actually I actually think a pick a pick that could have helped them a lot. Um, you know, I, I know they eventually got, uh, you know, Tyron Matthew, but um, I, th- I think a nice fit for this team would be uh, Adrian Phillips um, from Kentucky, who uh, ended up having a pretty good career with the Chargers. Okay. All right. So you decided to go here uh, with, with that selection. At number 24, we've got the Cincinnati Bengals. They went with the corner Darquees Denard. Um, out of Michigan State. That looked like a, a solid selection, but uh, certainly didn't didn't turn out well. We've got some offensive linemen out here, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Jake Matthews here. I'm gonna end this run. I just feel like the Bengals they always try to go with the best player available. It seemed like our, under Marvin Lewis they always tried to to go with a secondary player. But I'll give them an offensive line to to stabilize, an offensive lineman to stabilize that that line up front. Whether Jake Matthews, I think Jake Matthews can play left tackle, he can play right tackle. He has been a staple uh, for the Atlanta Falcons at left tackle, protecting that blind side for for Matt Ryan. So that will be my selection here. At number 25, we've got the San Diego Chargers, not the Los Angeles Chargers, San Diego Chargers, who went with Jason Verrett, a cornerback out of TCU. If it wasn't for injuries, he would have been a good player, but certainly he is he's missed a ton of time there. So who's your selection here, Ed? You know, I I actually like a guy like uh like um Jimmy Ward um from uh Northern Illinois. I mean, Jimmy Ward's had a good career with the 49ers. Jimmy Ward has has bounced back a little bit. I wouldn't necessarily, and I'm a little bit critical here just because, I mean, I know Jimmy Ward. I'm not sure he's worthy of a first-round selection. This is where he originally went. He went 30th overall to the 49ers. I think he has bounced back. He's become a better player than what he was earlier on, but it wouldn't have been my selection here, but... I, I realize that I mean he could play a number of spots out here. Uh, at number twenty-six, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they went with Marcus Smith, uh, edge rusher out of Louisville. That was a total whiff. I, I want to give him an edge rusher, but you know what? Philadelphia Eagles love drafting offensive linemen in the first round, and there's just plenty of best players available here on my mock board. I'll give him Joel Bitonio. I just feel like this guy, he's been a fixture at offensive guard for the Cleveland Browns, and I think I would have actually chosen him much higher here. He he was considered an underrated offensive tackle coming out of college. He dealt with injuries the first two years, but he has settled in at left guard. He's made the Pro Bowl the last two years. He was originally drafted in the second round, but I like the Joel Betonio pick out here. Uh, it's, it's a run on offensive linemen for me, Ed. So I'll, I'll go with an offensive lineman here again for the Philadelphia Eagles. At 27, Arizona Cardinals tried to experiment with Dion Buchanan, a linebacker slash safety out of Washington State. That certainly didn't amount to much. So who is, who's your pick here? 
I actually kind of like the idea of going with Kevin Pierre-Lewis. I think he's had a good career. Um, he's bounced around with a bunch of teams, but I think he's been good with the teams he's been with. All right, at 28, we've got the Carolina Panthers on the clock. Kelvin Benjamin, the wide receiver out of Florida State. He actually had a pretty... He had a couple of good years out there, but the drops haunted him. He couldn't stay in shape. I mean, his conditioning was a problem. I want to go with the wide receiver, but all the wide receivers are off the board. So I'm going to give him a pick that they they drafted this player much later in this draft. I'm going to give him Trey Turner. I just think Trey Turner is another offensive lineman. Again, a run on offensive lineman continues. And... Um, I'm surprised he actually lasted this long. He's a great offensive guard in the league. He's been a five-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, Trey Turner uh, just signed with with the Chargers, but he was originally with the Carolina Panthers, so that would be my selection here at 28. Uh, offensive lineman out of LSU. At 29, New England Patriots. Uh, they drafted Dominique Easley, defensive tackle out of Florida. Yeah, Bill Belichick wasn't wasn't too great with that selection. So who is who is your selection here, Ed? Yeah, I mean, I remember I remember Patriots fans kind of bragging about, oh, this is going to be such a Belichick pick. He's going to get healthy and he's going to be a star, but uh, it never turned around. Um, I, I'm actually, I, you know, I I think the I think the Patriots have always emphasized free safeties. I think I think the safety play is important to them. So I think a guy like Lamarcus Joyner would be a great pick here. LaMarcus Joyner, I like it. I like it. I think this player has uh, is a very underrated guy. Just He signed with the Raiders, but played an integral part of that Rams defense. Played that nickel spot, then he moved them to safety. I just think Bill Belichick would know what to do uh, with this player. San Francisco 49ers. Um, Jimmy Ward was the original selection at 30, a safety out of Northern Illinois. Jeez, I'm <clears throat> kind of debating here what, what to do, what to do. Maybe to go with an offensive lineman again or to, to shore up an offensive line or go with the corner. Um, you know, I'm going to go with an offensive lineman. I just, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this run. I've been defending these offensive linemen here in the first round, and I'll continue this. Uh, I'm going to go with Gabe Jackson, an offensive guard, uh, who played? Uh, who's played for the Oakland Raiders? He's been, I would say, the best interior offensive lineman in the AFC West. I think he's taken his game to another level under John Gruden. And uh, Gabe Jackson would be the selection here for my uh, 49ers at 30. At 31, we've got the Denver Broncos, and they went. Their original selection was Bradley Roby, a cornerback out of Ohio State. You know, I thought Bradley Roby did good as a number two corner behind Chris Harris. So I'm actually going to go with Bradley Roby again. I know he didn't, he, you know, they he did, they didn't sign him to a second contract, but um, I, I thought I thought Bradley Roby, you know, did what he was supposed to do, especially being the 31st pick. All right, number 32 selection. It's the last selection of this draft at number 32 we've got the minnesota vikings who originally traded up to get teddy bridgewater quarterback out of louisville i'm tempted to go with the quarterback here i really am and i think teddy b is gonna bounce back i think he'll have a good career with the carolina panthers and he's got joe brady's offensive scheme to work with and i think it's gonna be fun and maybe one 
we'll revisit this selection a few years from now. Maybe Teddy B makes it into our first round. But I'm going to go with the defensive player. Um, I just think, uh, you know, Mike Zimmer loves defensive players. He loves drafting linebackers. And I realized that they drafted Anthony Barr already to be their strong side linebacker. I'm going to go with Telvin Smith. Uh, Telvin Smith had a fantastic career before he abruptly retired. And that, that was probably hard to take because, uh, you know, he was just, he was a versatile defender uh, during his five seasons. I mean, he had over 100 plus tackles and he had 586 total tackles and nine picks. He was a leader of that Jaguars defense, but he walked away from the game. But I would still say that he should be included in the first round mock because Telvin Smith just was fantastic uh, during that, that brief stint that he's had. And I don't think he's coming back, but I'm going to give him a linebacker out of Florida State. Um, he goes here with the last pick at number 32 to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, guys, it was, it was a long show and Ed and I experimented here to, to do the mock draft, to do the 2014 redraft. I hope you enjoyed it because I think we'll do a few more of these during the season. I hope you liked it. So this was another episode of Blitzcast. Thank you for listening. Take care.